0: Okay, I'm very, very excited, as I said earlier, to say we've got Steve Braden with us. Uh, Steve has been around uh, in the New Frontiers leadership pretty much since the beginning for many, many years of of wisdom that we're going to benefit from this morning. Uh, He's been involved in Heathfield and uh, Hastings and Woking and Sydney and, you know, pretty much everywhere. Uh, So let's just really honour him and give him a really big King's Church welcome. Great. Good morning, everybody. Uh, there we go. Happy Mother's Day. Let me see all the mums. Where are all the mums? I think you do a brilliant, brilliant job. Amazing job. Let's give them all a round of applause. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, always thrilled that uh, married to a, a good wife. And uh, we've been staying with our son in Brighton, and they've got two little daughters. And when the children cry in the middle of the night, I think. I'm glad I don't have to get up anymore, and <laughs> we don't have that, uh, but congratulate all the mums, you do a brilliant job. It's lovely uh, to be with you, Jeff said that I've been around for a few years, I um, was used to lead the church at Heafield, and then we moved on from there to, I was one of the leaders of King's Church in Hastings, then we went um, for eight years, we were in, six years, we were in um, Woking, and then I've recently been, in eight years, I've been out in Australia, in a church plant, started actually... Um, about eight years ago, there were just a handful of people. There was only 18 people when we first went there. And um, then the church had grown and it grew and we saw others come along. And when we left, I left because I um, retired and family were pulling us back to England, as it were. Although we're dual citizens, we can always go either way. Um, the church had then grown to about 300. So, um, and we had the responsibility for um, working into New Zealand and Japan and Cambodia. And the Philippines and Australia. <laughs> Huge region. But it's great to be here in Lewis. I've had contact with the church in Lewis. In fact, I think, I was thinking about it earlier, I think I came to your very, very first service many, many years ago um, when Terry was there and Richard Thomas and uh, anybody else who was there? Yeah, yeah okay. And uh, I came too. Gr- great time. I'd like you to turn this morning to uh, 2 Chronicles, chapter 26. I've sought God of what to bring, but he's put a passage on my heart, which I hadn't really planned on, but I feel somewhat arrested by it, so we go to that. 2 Chronicles chapter 26 and verse 16, he said, but after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord, his God. He entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Azariah, the chief priest, with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord, followed him in. They confronted him and they said, It's not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That's for the priests, the descendants of Aaron, who've been consecrated to burn incense. Now leave the sanctuary for you have been unfaithful, and you will not be honored by the Lord your God. Uzziah, who had a centre in his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry. And while he was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. And when Azariah, the chief priests, and the other priests looked at him, and they saw that he had leprosy on his forehead, They hurried him out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. And King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous, and excluded from the temple of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land. I'd like you to turn also to Isaiah chapter 6, more familiar passage. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, And the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. With two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, The doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe is me, I cried. I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth. And he said, see, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I. Send me. And he said, Go and tell this people. Father, we thank you for your word. We bow to its authority. We pray that Jesus will be glorified and that you speak to the hearts of these dear people here in Lewis for Jesus' sake. Amen. I want today to speak about the holiness of God. That's what I believe God has put on my heart. And holiness is the essential essence of everything that God is. It's his otherness. It's him being set apart from everything in a sense that man is. And whenever we speak about God, um, we speak about his holiness, that holiness to God is what, the, what light is to the sun. It's inseparable part of his being. He's the very essence of who he is. When we speak about his wrath, it's his holy wrath. When we speak of his love, it's his holy love. When we speak about his justice, it's his holy justice. When we speak of his mercy, it's his holy mercy. Everything about God is shot through with holiness. And I believe that we're in a day where we need to recapture something of the holiness, of understanding of the presence of God. When we were in uh, Australia, there was, there was quite a sort of a, a flippant culture around, and there was a lot of... Um, uh, a lot of uh, prosperity teaching, and it seemed almost as though Jesus and to know God was just like a safety net. They were there just to bless you, a bit like an Aladdin's lamp. If everything goes wrong, you pray a prayer and everything's going to be all right. And there seemed to almost be, a not a reaction against, but there seemed to be a need for a greater understanding of, of the majesty, the greatness, the glory of God, and the holiness of God, a real understanding of the fear of God as well. And I think that we're in that sort of day where we don't do amiss to go and touch passages like this, Isaiah chapter 6, and uh, to reaffirm something of the grandness of our God. And uh, that's what God has put on my heart for you today as a church. And I want from this passage, this is probably the most definitive passage in the Bible on the holiness of God, Isaiah chapter 6, and from Isaiah... I want to pick out three things, we could go into many others, but we could I want to pick out three things about the holiness of God, what it actually means for us today. What does it mean to come and worship a holy God? Well, first of all, it means this it means God's might. That He is mighty, He is Almighty. The first thing about our God is His might. Mighty, almighty. Now, we read this passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, and it says this about Uzziah, the king. And the opening verse here, it says, In the year that King Uzziah had died, this was the nation, this was the nation of Israel, they'd known for 52 years tremendous success. They'd known tremendous prosperity. They'd known tremendous security from the Assyrian army who were just down the road. They'd known amazing strength and security, and they'd grown up all their life, all the 50 year olds, and they'd been Uzziah the king, great champion, very, very successful king. And sometimes success can bring, be the very downfall of a person. It was always Lloyd Jones who said this he said that the worst thing that can ever happen to a young man is that he becomes successful too soon. Sometimes pride can grip into a person's heart where they think, I'm infallible, I can do anything, get out my way, stand back whoa. <laughs> and Uzziah, when he grew prosperous and, and, and successful, he went into the temple of the Lord, the very temple that Isaiah went into, and he thought, I'm, I'm going to do the job of the priest today. I'm going, to, <laughs> I'm going to act like a priest. I'm going to, although he was anointed to be king, he was, there were three anointed prof, offices in the Old Testament: prophet, priest, and king. He was anointed. No one had all three, except Jesus. He was he was anointed to be king, not a priest. And he thought, I'm going to step out of my role today and become a priest. And he goes and he gets hold of the incense to burn to offer to god he said i'm going to start functioning in a role that i'm not called to do but i'm going to do it and 80 of the priests saw him and said don't do this don't do this and as they confronted the king 80 of them he said get out my way and he pushed forward and he burnt the burnt the incense offering and then suddenly all the 80 priests they looked and They looked at him as suddenly on his forehead, leprosy broke open. He didn't realize it, but it broke open on his face and all the priests suddenly saw it. And leprosy was a sign of the judgment of God. And you weren't allowed to go into the presence of God with leprosy. And they suddenly said, you've been struck with leprosy. And he was ushered out of the presence of God, out of the temple. And he lived on his own for the rest of his life. In a separate house, excluded from the presence of God, excluded and alone and gradually dying, dying, dying. And the nation were in shock, absolute shock and horror at this very successful king who brought financial success, security. And now the nation was suddenly thrown in absolute turmoil. They were rocked to pieces. And what is necessary at a time like that, of a time of despair, a time of perplexity. Maybe you're going through a time of perplexity at the moment. A time of despair and perplexity. What is necessary, and I believe it's necessary in our nation today, is for people to catch a fresh vision of God Almighty, His might, His greatness, that He is in fact seated on the throne. Can you say amen? Amen. It's what we need. And I think Isaiah, the prophet, I believe he was actually called as a prophet in chapter 1. So I don't believe this was the start of his call. I believe that he was functioning in some sort of ministry from chapter 1. And he probably thought Jesus would just be a bit of a safety net. God, is this sort of safety net. Just pray a prayer, we're in trouble. And he goes into the temple and he gets the shock of his life, which changes him, ruins him. And changes the course of the nation through his ministry. And I believe we need such encounters with God in this day which ruin us. And affects our lives and the churches we lead and this nation from that point on. And he goes in. He goes into the temple and he get such a powerful vision of God that he's shaken to his core. He sees the one who is seated on the throne. Everything else is in absolute turmoil, but God is seated on a throne. Not worried how he's going to pay the gas bill. Not worried how he's going to get the Mother's Day card on time. Not worried about all the things which we so worry about at times. Totally in control of all things. Do you know this? It says this in Ephesians. This is for people here this morning. I know. I felt God speak to me earlier this week. It says in Ephesians 1 verse 11. It said in him we have been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In other words, God is on the throne today in your situation, in your life, whether you feel thrown about, whether you feel it's a place of perplexity, whether you feel it's a place of turmoil, you don't know what's going on. And I've been through perplexing times. You think, where is God in all of this? Well, he's seated on the throne. (laughs) The problem is I, I, I haven't got my heart caught into it. I'm worried about all what's going on. Jesus said, there's not even a sparrow falls to the ground without the will of the Father. Come on, you're worth far more than many sparrows. I wonder where you are today. I wonder, I can see, as I'm preaching, I can see at least 10 people are thrown by everything. Oh, how are we going to do this? And how are we going to do, what about this? And what's needed at a time like this is that we catch a fresh vision of the fact that Jesus, our God, is on the throne of heaven, seated, high and lifted up. He's on the throne. He's mighty. He's almighty. And if we don't worship an almighty God, if he's not almighty, then what are we doing in the first place? But I believe he's almighty. I believe he's in control. I believe when there's things I don't understand, where is he? He's seated on the throne. I believe he's working out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will. Can you say amen? I believe it with all my heart. I believe it. He's might. He's mighty. He's almighty. What about your situation today? You've thrown, I know that there are people, I know there are people here today I can sit as I preach. There's at least 10 people who are thrown all over the place. You're like a boat on a wave, thrown all over the place by your circumstances. What is needed today is for you to catch a fresh vision of heaven, that there's one seated on the throne who's working out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will. Can you say amen? amen. This speaks first of all of his might. It speaks secondly of his greatness and his majesty. He goes into the temple and he sees this throne high and lifted up. Now the temple would have been, let's have an equivalent today, would be something like about the size of Wembley Stadium. I don't know much about dresses, except I used to be a manager of Marks and Spencers, believe it or not. I know that the dress, you tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm not sure that with, with the dress, I'm not sure that the, ro- the, um, the train adds anything, any practical sense to the dress, apart from adding a sense of majesty. And when the royal robes, the king and the queen has their uh, garments, their uh, splendid garments, they have a long train and it adds to the splendor. And here Isaiah, he goes into the temple, and uh, and this massive temple, and it says just the train of his robe filled the temple. Not God filled the temple. No, God, he was on a, on a throne high and lifted up. He's just, his train filled the temple, and the foundations were shaking. There was an earthquake going on. The place was filled with smoke, and the Sarahs were crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And what Isaiah had to do, he had to understand God being mighty, almighty. But he had to catch a sense of God's greatness and his majesty. Seated there on the throne with just a train of his robe filling the temple. And we learn too from these seraphs. We learn this, strange creatures. We learn this, that they got six wings. they got two of them which are covering their face. Just covering their face. Now that tells me, John, that there are things which not even the angels themselves can look into, delve into the presence of God. There are things about God which not even the the Saras can know. And he says in Deuteronomy, the secret things belong to the Lord. And sometimes things will happen in your life, sometimes things will happen in my life, and we say, why? Why is this? Why is that? Why did that go wrong? Why did she die? Why did I get the sack there? Why did this? Why, 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 why? And we can ask a thousand questions, and sometimes God is not always there to answer our why questions, like he's just some sort of, come and tell me the answer. Sometimes I meet people in evangelism, and uh, they, they say to me this, they say, when I get to heaven... I've got a thing or two to ask God. So I think, oh yeah, <laughs> you, you haven't understood anything. And so God is accountable to you. Why did you allow this? Why did you do that? You thought you haven't understood the first principle. Now we'd be so caught with the awesome presence of God. Not even the angels look, look into. Their faces are covered. Because the secret things belong to the Lord. I love reading the Bible. I love reading through someone like Job, the character of Job. And you read this about Job. Just over a weekend, he loses his health. He loses his wealth. He loses his family. Bang, the whole lot gone. Lost his business, his livelihood, his family. Where would you be if that happened to you? He lost the lot. And then along come all Job's comforters and they've all got their answers. Why this has happened and why that's happened and why the other's happened. And they all go through their cycles. Why this and why that and why that and why that. And you get right through to chapter 38 and it says, and then God speaks. <laughs> you think, oh <"Whoa>, boy. <laughs> and God speaks in a different way. God speaks through the storm. The storm. He speaks through the storm. And he says this, brace yourself, Job, like a man. Brace, you think, grief. This is not going to be a there, there, never mind. Brace yourself like a man. And then instead of Job questioning God, why did you let this happen? It's God who starts to question Job. And he says to him this, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me. Where are the storehouses of snow kept? Tell me if you know. Tell me how the eagle takes its flight. Tell me where the lightning bolts are kept. Tell me how the ostrich gives birth. And it's quite humorous as you go through. He says, the ostrich are where they crouch down and (laughs) give birth. Tell me if you know. Tell me, tell me. And all the way through, God is answering Job just with one thing, his greatness and his majesty. And although it seems as though difficulty and disaster has come his way, which it has, there's one who's seated on the throne, and God has answered Job according to his majesty. His majesty. With two wings, they cover their faces. Do you know, I've met lots of people who've almost lost it in the Christian life. Because they've, they've got to something and they, they've asked the question, why did God allow this? Why, 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 why? And they can't get beyond it. And in the end, they, they almost drop out. And God is not going to answer all of your why questions. Sometimes he will answer just the fact of his majestic, majestic ways. We could look in Isaiah chapter 14. It says this. Isaiah I the prophet writing to Israel, and he said, why do you say, O Israel, that my way is hidden from the Lord? My God doesn't care, care about me. Do you not know? Have you not understood? The Lord is the everlasting Lord. His ways are past finding out. And God, again, is just going to answer according to his majesty. I want you to know here today, he knows every hair on every head in the room and some is easier to count than others <laughs> he knows he knows every day of your life was written in a book when as yet there were none he knows every chair you're sitting in he knows the color of every garment that you're wearing he knows whether you're wearing glasses or whether you're not wearing glasses he knows every detail about your life he knows everything about thing about your life and sometimes what we need to do is stop worry 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 charging around we need to catch a fresh glimpse of the fact that he's on the throne and we need to see like the angels they were just holding there wings in front of their faces worshiping the almighty God and sometimes if we worshiped and praised God and caught a fresh vision of him our why questions would just disappear disintegrate we'd be so caught up with his majestic being can you say amen with two wings they cover their face with two wings they cover their feet They must have been rather strange creatures, wasn't they? Two wings covering their their face right the way down. The other two, they cover their feet in the presence of God. What is that saying? That is saying that the angels have no direction in life at all unless it comes from the throne of God. It's a sign of humility. It's a sign of self-effacement. And Jesus said this. He said, if anyone's going to come after me, Follow me. Deny yourself and follow me. When we went to Australia, it was a it was a real challenge. My mum, she was she had breast cancer and uh, had cancer for some time. Ruth's mother was in a in a nursing home. We had three boys. We still got three boys. <laughs> and we had um, our boys were at university, and um, someone said, "What well, you know? Is it even responsible? You going?" And we wrestled with that, but we knew, we knew, we knew God was telling us to go. And someone said, You someone said this to us, they said, You you must have been you must be very brave. I brave doesn't even come into the question. Surely this is just the normal Christian life, that we do what God tells us to do. If he tells you to go to Greenland and plant a church, you go. If he tells you to stay in Lewis for all your life, you stay in Lewis. If he tells you to go to Australia, you go. We signed up in, in when we first got on board. Isn't that right that we have no direction of our own? We follow him. Maybe you're in a position today where you're praying, what is the future? You've got it all mapped out. I've met girls sometimes who've got it mapped out, guys who've got it mapped out, who they're going to marry, what car they're going to have, which, well, how much they're going to earn, where they're going to go. And God says, oh yeah, oh yeah. And what he wants us to do is just to surrender to his will so that my will is his will and that I just walk in his ways. The angels have got their faces covered. They've got their feet covered. The only parts. Of the angels which weren't covered was their ears. So they've got two wings covering their face, two wings covering their feet, and they're two, they're flying. They're, they're flying, just like hummingbirds, but their ears are ready. And the minute they hear a command from the throne, boing, they're gone. Bang, boing, just like a hummingbird. <laughs> As in Mexico once with uh, Ray Lowe. I'd never seen a hummingbird. We're sitting down by this swimming pool, and I noticed on this beautiful, um, beautiful flower, and it seemed what was like a large bee. I thought, what on earth's that? And as I looked, it went, bang, bang, zoom, zoom, zoom. and it literally was like a bullet just flying around the garden, around this back garden, the swimming pool. And Ray said, "That's a that's a hummingbird. First time I'd ever seen one." And it was, it was. Tiny little thing, about an inch and a half long, you know, just hovering by this flower. And suddenly, bing, bing, bing. And that's what these angels are like. The minute, because that's what the, the angels do. That's the job of the angel. That they, that they are they're there to bring message from God to us. They're messengers. To suddenly take the word of God. They don't have anything initiated in themselves. They, are, they receive from God. Bang, they go and do it. Bang, bang, bang. Bing. How's it with you when God speaks to you? How's it with you? Are you ready and eager to do what God tells you to do? I marvel when I read about Abraham. Abraham was promised a child, and then it took 25 years for that child to come to birth. The fulfillment. 25 years. God takes a long time sometimes. And then when the child's 15 years old, so you think that's 40, 40 years. That you've waited for this promise, it says God. Just says, "Oh, get, get up and sacrifice your son." Forty years down the drain. Forty years of hope and promise, bang gone. If that had happened to me, I'll be honest. I'd have had a month of prayer and fasting, and I'd have probably gone round enough people till I found somebody who dis- disagreed and said, "Oh, I think that's God wouldn't say that sort of thing." Until I found someone who was wanted to say something I wanted to hear and I'd believe that. Wrong. (laughs) He says this of Abraham, this is why he's the father of faith. He rose early the next morning. Early. (laughs) I think I'd have overslept for a month. He rose early the next morning to obey. To go and sacrifice his darling son because he so believed that God would be able to raise him from the dead even if he sacrificed him. I went to our Connect group this week in working. One of the questions came up, it says this Is it possible to get bored in the Christian life? What would you say in your group? So the answer came back that it is possible to get bored. I think it is possible to get bored. And I think it's possible to get bored in two ways. I think think number one is through sin, that, that actually sin dulls us down to the sensitivity of the prompting of the Spirit of God. And in the end, sin is like eating between meals. In the end, we lose our appetite for God. But it can also happen to people who disobey God you refuse to obey. So if he tells you to to give or if he tells you to tithe or get baptized or not to go with that girl or not to do that and, and somehow we press through, in the end we sever the nerves, the spiritual nerves again and again and again and again. And in the end we become dull in ourselves. We become like a piece of flesh which has got a scar on it. We've just become almost desensitized to the voice of God. And I see that people uh, uh, have a time of worship and they think, uh, wonder, what's on, wonder what's on the football today. And it's like their engagement with God is almost gone. I want to challenge you today. Maybe there's been an area where God's been speaking to you again and again and again and again and again and again, and again which he does. You've done nothing about it. Don't desensitize yourself to the voice and the presence of God. Be like the angels here who were ready. The minute a word came, boing, 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 boing. boing, They were up and ready to do it. You see, the holiness of God speaks of his might. It speaks of his majesty and his greatness. We learn that from the angels. But the holiness of God also speaks of this. It speaks of his purity And his mercy. When Isaiah the prophet, he catches a vision of God, his holy purity. He just cries out and says, I'm ruined. I'm a total and utter mess. I'm ruined. I'm ruined. We live in an evil day. We live in a day where we have to guard ourselves. I've been an elder of church for... Many years, one of the things we did in Sydney, we, we, we always made ourselves accountable to the other elders. So all the elders, anybody had freedom to come in and check my computer anytime they wanted to. Anything i had been looking at, they had freedom to ask me about my marriage, my sex life, to ask us about <coughs> the computer, to ask us about what we had been watching, what we hadn't been watching. We, we had that accountability. And I find that there's a dimension, I was telling even Chris last week, that I I find that there's a a dimension that sometimes the enemy can even catch you. I I was preparing a sermon, and um, I'm not a brilliant techie when it comes to computers, as many of you are, and I wanted to uh, find an image of of a sunset or something like that. And I said to the secretary, where could I get that? She said, why don't you just um, look on Google Images? And I'd never been on Google Images, and so I did, and I... I found all these sunsets or whatever it was, can't remember. But also it, as I scrolled down, I noticed there was a load of dirty stuff as well thrown in. I thought, how can that be? You type that in, you get that. And so it, it created in me an unhealthy interest where I thought I'm going to type in dog and see what comes up or car or anything. And, but I felt that in my own heart that I would type in one thing, but I was sort of secretly wondering what's going to come up. And you think how, how corrupt your own hearts can be. And we live in a day where we need, beloved, we need to be accountable. The enemy is working overtime on our minds, on our computers, on TV screens. We have to be in a day where we say, brothers, help me, sisters, help me. Come on, be, have access, because what we want is the presence and glory of God. We don't want to be taken out. We don't want to be wiped out. And I found that to be open and honest actually is, is main part of the problem if you say look help i need help in this area i find that it diffuses it and almost deals with most of it and i think that we we need to learn that um, you know again god's that the holiness of god without holiness no one to see the lord i want to see the lord i won't want to be disqualified through anything And we're in a day where where tv computers it's designed almost to, to wipe us out. And I think we just have to be open and honest. Come on, help me through. <laughs> and if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because we want to see God in all his glory and all his power and all his majesty, don't we? And Isaiah, when he was in this temple, he just felt, oh, I'm ruined. I live in an unclean dirty, dirty generation. An amazing thing happened. It says that one of the angels flew to the altar and took a burning coal and came with this burning coal and just touched his lips. Now, there's a lovely set of coordinates here in verse 7. It says, where the angel touched... And at the same time, the courtinets. He says, "Touched, your sin is taken away." So it's like touched, gone, touched, gone, touch, gone. A bit like Newton's cradle. Do you remember those balls that you swing? You have about eight balls, and you swing one, and it hits the last one, and the You know, the X one pings off and then backwards and forwards and boom, boing, boing. And that's the exact picture here. He says, the angel came and he cried out, I'm ruined, I'm an unclean man, help me. And he said, an angel came, he cries out for mercy. An angel comes with a burning coal, touches his lips, gone. Your sin is gone and been atoned for. And when we cry out for mercy, it's one of the things, it was one of the, the prayers which God cannot resist. If you go through the Bible, you find out whenever anybody's ever cried out for mercy, it's almost, it catches the ear of God. God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner, said the sinner in the temple. And Jesus heard his prayer, said, God the Father hears his prayer. Not the, not the Pharisee who was self righteous. And whenever anybody's cried out for mercy, Bartimaeus, mercy, Jesus, have mercy. His disciples are saying, shut up, shut up. He doesn't speak to you. Jesus, have mercy. Shut up, will you? Shut up. And he cries out all the more, Jesus, have mercy on me. And the cry of mercy stops Jesus in his tracks. And he turns to the blind man and says, what do you want me to do for you? What a thing to say to a blind man. What do you want me to do for you? He said, I'll see. The first thing he saw was the face of the Son of God. (laughs) Have mercy on me. And an angel came with coals, touched his lips, touched. gone. Gone. Gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone (laughs) but beloved we live in the new testament and we find john the apostle comes with an amazing revelation and today we haven't been touched with a burning coal today we've been touched with something even more special Because we're told in John's gospel, John chapter 12, that the vision that Isaiah saw was actually none other than the Lord Jesus. And that he stepped off of the throne of heaven, came into this world, died on the cross for your sin and my sin. And then touched us with his precious blood. And today we've been touched by the blood of the Lamb of God. This holy, pure, glorious, majestic King stepped off of the throne of heaven and came and gave his life for you and for me. Hallelujah, hallelujah, what a savior. And it makes my heart wanna sing, it makes my heart wanna rejoice, it makes my heart wanna tell the world that you can be cleansed, you can be forgiven, you can be restored, you can be part of the kingdom of God, you can build a church and be part of God's great, amazing, amazing plan. And Isaiah was so ruined and yet so restored, it was at that moment that he heard God speak to him in a clear voice. He said, who, who would go for me? And Isaiah said, I'll do it. I'm up for it. I'm up for it. And Isaiah was changed from this encounter, and so was the nation. And so will we be today if we have the same encounter and vision of the Lord Jesus, which is in the Bible for our benefit. Can you say amen? Amen. So the holiness of God speaks of his might, it speaks of his greatness and majesty, it speaks of his purity, and it speaks of his mercy. And I feel as we come to close today, I want us to stand and sing that glorious hymn, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. And I believe that God actually wants to touch some people here this morning. And if that's you, it'd be great to respond.